This is our second week in our Core 52 class, and basically the idea behind Core 52, you've heard me say this, I just want to make sure we understand and, and understand what we're shooting for, but the idea behind Core 52 is that what if we could kind of master 52 key verses in the Bible? If we could do that this year, that would really kind of give you a lens through which to view the rest of the Bible. That is, if you can understand these 52 core verses, you'll have a better understanding of the other verses you read in the Bible. So last week we looked at the first core verse, which was creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let me remind you that I'm asking you to, re to memorize these core verses. So the last one was pretty easy. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. So that was last week. And we looked at two questions last week. Why did God create the world? And how did God create the world? And we ended with this statement that the Bible is the story of God's involvement with his creation and particularly the people in it. And that's really where we land tonight. Let me give you a, a verse that you might want to jot down. I don't think it's on your outline. Job 12.10. You might want to just write down the reference on your outline there. Job 12.10. That verse says, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Speaking about God, our creator, the Bible says, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. That verse raises an important question. How did God go about creating man? How did God make us. And of course, we turn to the scripture for that. I want you to open your Bibles tonight to uh, the first scripture is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. We're going to read verse 7 and verse 21 and 22. Verse 7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Don't ever forget that God is the one who gives life to you. God is the one who sustains your life and mine. As it says in the book of Job, in his, life, or in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. We see that in Genesis 2-7. And now skip down to verse 21 and 22. Well, first part of verse 20 says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It's an interesting account, any way you look at it, of how God created both the man and the woman. And by the way, I believe this is a literal account and not just a theoretical rendering of what happened or, or something like that. Uh, uh, th this, is, this is not just a, a story. This is something that literally 
happened. And it's interesting that it says in, in chapter 2, verse 7, that God formed Adam out of what? Man, if your wife has ever called you dirt, she was accurate. <laughs> All right, so he formed men out of the dirt of the ground, and he formed women out of the rib of Adam's, or woman out of the rib of Adam's side. Now, let me show you something. This, this is extra. This is not going to cost you anything more, but let me show you something. And I cannot remember where I first read this. I need to verify it. I should have verified it tonight. Maybe you can verify it and email me. Let me show you something that that is fascinating to me. It says in verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. I have heard before that that's the verse that inspired the man to, that, that made anesthesia. He got the idea from this verse. That he saw that God put man asleep to remove the rib. And that gave the guy who created anesthesia the idea of forming anesthesia to put a man to sleep for surgery. So somebody can check that out and see if I'm telling you the truth. If not, let me know. But that is, that is something that, 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 I have, uh, that I remember from years back. <clears throat> now, let's talk for a moment. I want you to talk to a neighbor. Why is it that the rest of creation, God made with a word, he spoke, and it was there. Why is it that the rest of creation, God spoke it into existence, but he made us from the dust of the ground and from a rib? When he said, let there be light, there was light. Why is it that God spoke all of creation into existence, except when he came to us? When he came to us, man out of the dust of the ground, Woman out of the rib. So talk to one another. See what kind of ideas you can come up with. All right, let's see what you came up with. Quick answers, quick answers. Why, why did God speak everything else into creation, but he created man out of dirt, and he created the woman out of the rib? He put us in authority over all creation. Good, very good. Somebody else. So, he wanted a more intimate relationship with him. Good answer. We were formed? Yes, absolutely. Created in his image. Remember that one. Created in his image. Well, it really is an interesting thing to debate and to think about that God could have, if he wanted to, he could have spoke, let there be man, and there was man. Let there be woman, and there was woman. He could have easily have done that. But Adam was made out of the dirt of the ground. And here's why. I think there's a blank on your notes, if I remember correctly. Adam being made from the dirt is a reminder of our connection to the rest of creation. 
Although we are the crown of creation, we are still part of creation. We are created by God. And it goes back to what Job said. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So, so God took all of creation. He, he's, he spoke it into existence. Then he made us from part of that creation. We're the crown of his creation, but we're still part of his creation. But then Eve, Eve is even more unique. Eve's creation from Adam's rib is a reminder of our connection to one another. Put that on your blank. Our connection to one another. We are connected to one another. And it is a special reminder, I think, of the close relationship that man was to have with a woman. The unique relationship that a man was to have with a woman. And so God was very deliberate in creating us. But the Bible says not only were we made by God, we were made in God's image. Uh, Connie mentioned that just a moment ago. Let's talk about our true identity. And tonight's core verse, there's actually two of them. Uh, One is in Genesis chapter 1, our first core verse, as we talk about our, our true identity. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. I want you to read something very carefully as we read verse 26. Look for the words us and our. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, you notice in verse 26, this word, God said, let us. Who is us there? And he later uses the word our. Who is that that he's referring to? Trinity. Now, get ready to write some important notes down. If you, uh, there, I don't think there's a blank, but you might want to write it in the column. Uh, can, could, we also, could we first of all say, the Trinity is a mystery that we'll not fully grasp. Would you agree with that? I don't think we ever get to the point where we say, I, I got it, I understand the Trinity. I, 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 no, there's, the Trinity is a mystery, we'll not fully grasp, but, but here's what I want you to notice. Even in the first chapter of the Bible, we begin to get a partial revelation of who God is. From the very first pages, very first chapter, we get the hint of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity, let me say to you, is never found in the Bible. But the idea represented by that word is found in many places. This is the first one. Trinity, by the way, means triunity or three in oneness. The word is used to summarize the teaching of the Scripture that God is three persons, yet one God. God exists, of course, in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet He is one God. But here's what I want you to understand. Already in the very first chapter of the Bible, we have an indication of this plurality, watch this, not of gods, not a plurality of gods, but the plurality of God, singular. God revealed as Father, God revealed as Son, God revealed as the Holy Spirit. And then, look how God, this God, this one God, look what he says. Let us make man in our image. 
What does it mean that I'm created in God's image? You've got this on your blanks. Fill it in. Here's the short answer, and then we'll look at a longer answer. As human beings, here's what it means. As human beings, we have divine attributes. That's not to say we have God's abilities, but we do share God's attributes. That's the short answer. It's it's also fascinating to me that if you look in chapter 1, of all the things that God created, all the animals that God created, all the creatures that God created, only one creature, man, is said to be made in the image of God. The fact that man is in the image of God means that God is, or, or that man is like God and represents God, if you want to put that on your notes. When it says that you're made in the image of God, it basically means that you're like God and you represent God. So, how is it that we are more like God than all the rest of creation? Let me give you some examples. Put this on your notes. First of all, when it says that we're made in God's image, it means it's talking about our personality, our mind, our will, our emotion. God thinks and we think. God decides, we decide. God feels and we feel. Now, some animals are smart. Would you agree with that? You, you probably got a, maybe a dog or something, that, a parrot or something, and it's like, wow, that thing is smart. But they don't have the, the emotional and the mental capacity that you do. You know, animals can do a lot of things, but a lot, a lot of times it's by, by learning and it is by uh, instinct. They don't have the ability to plan and prepare like you do. They don't have the creative ability, the creative mind like you do. Now, I did see a, an elephant paint one time in Indonesia. I have to say that. I, and when, I, when I was studying, I was reading, the author said, you know, animals don't create art. And I thought, I've seen one. <laughs> I put, put a paintbrush in that elephant's mouth or trunk or whatever that thing is, and the elephant painted a flower. My hand in the air, I'm promising you, the elephant painted a flower. It was, it was amazing. But the elephant could never paint Mona Lisa. See, God has given us an ability that he hasn't given the animals. And, and, and not just the animals, but the other things that God has created. Plants, for example. Plants don't have feelings. Now, I know some people talk to their plants. Uh, but I've never seen a plant feel rejected because I didn't get watered today. You have, I'm having a bad day. My owner didn't water me today. So how are we different? How are we different from the rest of creation? First of all, one of the ways that we're different is our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. The second one is this. Put this on your notes. Our morality. We are morally accountable to God for our actions. We have an inner sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from the animals. An innate sense of right and wrong I, I've, I've been all over the world as many of you have and you know what I have found doesn't matter where you go whether they believe in God or don't believe in God they have this sense of right and wrong they may not agree with you about what is right and what's wrong but everybody has a sense of right and wrong and almost everybody will agree, unless they're, they're psychotic or something almost everybody anywhere in the part of the world whether they believe in God or not whether they're religious or atheist almost anybody in, in the world will agree that murder is wrong. They have this innate sense that that's not right, that's wrong. 
That's one of the ways we differ from all of the rest of creation is our morality. We have this inner sense of what's right and what's wrong. You know, a mouse that invades your house and eats in your cabinet and then leaves you little souvenirs on the shelf? That mouse does not lay awake at night worrying, I wonder if I did the right thing. They don't have that, sense of, that inner sense of right and wrong like you and I do. So it's our morality that sets us apart from the rest of God's creation. We're made in God's image. And then the third one is this. Our spirituality. By that I mean that we are created with the ability to relate to God. We have more than just a physical body. We have a spirit that enables us to relate to God. We have a spiritual life that the rest of creation doesn't have. We have the ability to pray. We have the ability to praise God. We have the ability to hear from God as He speaks to us through His Word. Listen, we have an ability to relate to God that the rest of creation does not have. No dog is ever going to spend an hour in intercessory prayer praying for somebody to be saved. And if a dog won't do it, I promise you a cat won't do it. We, we, we have this ability, this connection to God. We, we have this, this connection to God that the rest of creation does not have. We're set apart from, from the, all of creation. We are made in God's image, our spirituality. And then fourthly, our dignity. Our dignity. I mean by that, we're more like God than anything else in all creation. It's really amazing to think about that when the creator of the universe wanted to create something in his image, more than anything else in all creation, he created us. We, we had today in our BSF class material regarding the sanctity of human life. I want to tell you one of the reasons all human life, all human life, all human life is important. From before they're born until they take their last breath. I want to tell you why all human life is important. It is because we are all created in God's image. We are the creation of Almighty God. And abortion, abortion is wrong. Abortion is murder. Abortion is absolutely, positively wrong. But also at the end of life we need to treat the elderly with dignity. They too are creatures of God, created by God. Um, I didn't plan to get into all of that, but I just, we need to understand the reason that, we, that there is sanctity of life is because God has made us. God is the one who has given us life. I mean, think of all the rest of, of God's amazing creation, the, the starry universe, the beautiful abundant earth, the world of plant and animals, the angelic kingdoms. These are all magnificent and remarkable, but we're more like our creator than any of those things are. The starry host may point to a creator, but we're made in the image of the creator. So, that's a little bit about our true identity. We've got a lot we need to dig into regarding this next one. I told you each week we're going to try to take two core verses. A few weeks we'll just do one, but most Sunday nights we're going to try to do two. So, that's the first one. The first core verse talks about our, our identity. And then the second one that's associated with it, the second core verse that we want to talk about is the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, 
This is chapter 3, verse... Well, let's just start verse 1. But our core verse is going to be chapter 3, verse 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Watch this. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then our core verse, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye, and also, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Again, I want to say, I do not believe this is an allegory. I believe this is an actual story, an actual account of what happened in humanity, the fall. Now, I want you to keep in mind where this story occurs because this is something very, very familiar to all of us. But I want you to keep in mind where this story falls in Scripture. This story does not come midway through the Bible. This story is not placed at the end of the Bible. This story is placed in Genesis chapter 3. Early in the Bible, barely into the book, we're told that something went wrong with what God had created. I almost had them bring the board up here because I was just going to draw this big line and, and draw some things on it, but, but you can just picture it in your mind. This is one of those verses, Genesis 3.6, this is one of those verses that will help you understand the rest of the Bible. And you need to remember where it falls into place. Genesis chapter 3, barely into the book. We, chapter 1 and 2 talk about creation. And chapter 3, we learn about what went wrong in God's creation. Barely into the book, we're told something went wrong in God's creation. And the reason that verse is so important is because it helps us understand the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Let me give you just four or five examples. These are not on your notes, but four or five examples. For example, Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, through you I will bless the nations. Now, he was talking about sending the Lord Jesus through his seed and, and that he'd send a Savior into the world. But without Genesis chapter 3, we would think, what is that about? He's going to bless the nations. Or if you just read throughout the Old Testament, if you didn't have Genesis chapter 3 and you're reading through the Old Testament and you read about all these Old Testament sacrifices, we'd think, what, what's the purpose of that? That sounds awful bloody. Or if you're reading throughout the Bible and you get to the New Testament, all of a sudden you read about this man named Jesus and you read that John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That wouldn't make sense to you without Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Or Paul's missionary journeys. You're reading through the book of Acts, and you're reading Paul's letters. And it'd be, why is he running all over the world telling people about Jesus? 
That wouldn't make any sense to you without chapter 3, verse 6. Or you get to the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and it talks about the battle of Armageddon. And we would look at that and say, what in the world is going on? Why would there be a worldwide battle? And there would be no context for that apart from Genesis chapter 3. Or even where it says in the Revelation that God one day is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we would look at that and say, what's wrong with the old one? Why is he creating a new one? Again, we would have no context for understanding that apart from Genesis chapter 3. So although you're very familiar with this verse and this chapter, I just need to remind you that much of what we read in the Bible hinges on what happened in Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. It's a pivotal story for all, for all of us to understand the Bible. So let's talk about the nature of man because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. I closed my Bible. I'm going to get it back open. Here we go. The nature of man. If I could summarize the nature of man, I would summarize it this way, that man's nature is the exact opposite of God's. That wasn't that way to begin with. Remember, we were made in God's image. But something went wrong with God's creation. And now the Bible describes God Man's nature as really the exact opposite of God's. Here's what I mean by that. While God is holy and righteous and just, mankind is unholy, unrighteous, and unjust. When God made us, let me be clear, when God made us, he made us holy. But we became unholy. And at the moment of mankind's fall from the garden, in the Garden of Eden, everything changed. Let me take just a moment. I'm trying to make sure I don't run out of time. Let me take just a moment and address something about creation. This is not in your notes. This is kind of bonus stuff. But when God created the heavens and the earth, after he, every time after he created something, it says, and God said that it was, let there be light, and there was light, and God said that it was, in all aspects of creation like that, God announced each day that what he had created, created that day was good we have to be very careful when we start talking about evil and where evil came from that we do not assume that evil came from the world now now this is a i mean we could take a whole hour easily to talk about this aspect but i'm and i'm being very simple here i'm trying to simplify this but i'm gonna tell you something the world that god created was good God did not create a world with sin. God created a world that was good. So where did evil come from? That's always the question. People ask me that all the time. Where did evil come from? The simple answer is this. It started with Satan and the angels, the, the, the fallen angels. Where, and we can't, we can't fully comprehend this, but the angels disobey God. Satan and the angels disobey God. And then, of course, later, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Can I say to you, sin is irrational? That's why we can't fully comprehend how all of this even came about. Because sin, by its very nature, is irrational. But please don't think that God created a world that somehow was bad. God created a world that was good. 
And God gave the, 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 the people and the beings, if you will, the angelic beings in that world, he gave them freedom and they chose to rebel against him. That was the origin of sin. Well, we could go a whole lot deeper than that, but that's just a summary statement. That's, that was the origin of sin. I just want to remind you that the world God created was a world that was good. So, there was a moment when the world that God created, everything was good, including man, including woman, and then there was a moment when everything changed. Let me talk to you about the nature of man. And when I say the nature of man, I mean the nature of mankind. So put this on your notes. Number one, first of all, our nature, we are sinful. Uh, that, that's not news to you, I'm sure. <clears throat> chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Or let's go to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely do what, church? And we don't have the time to read Genesis chapter 3 in its entirety, but of course you know the story how Adam and Eve did exactly what God told them not to do. They chose, using their freedom of choice, they chose to disobey what God said, and they unleashed an onslaught of evil and decay that permeates our world today. And what they did, in essence, cursed the entire planet and all humanity. But you don't have to be a genius or a Bible scholar to understand this, that we have, all of us, we have this sinful nature within us. Our nature is that we are sinful. I can explain it to you easily by telling you about the world's greatest grandbaby. Uh, at Christmas time, she was over at the house, and she was playing with the tree. It was just me and her. I, I'm not sure where about, I mean, they were in the house, but... We're the only ones in the room right then. And, and she was messing with the tree as kids will do. And she was starting to, you know, take off ornaments and stuff. I said, Lily, leave that alone. And she just kept doing it. I said, Lily, don't touch that. And that sweet, godly little young lady, she looked at me. And this is exactly what she did. I'm, I'm right here. She looked at me and she took one finger and went. And then she turned to me and just smiled. Now, had she been my daughter, I would have spanked her. But I hugged her, you know, just. But I'll never forget her just looking at me. I told her, don't you touch that. And she took that one little finger and just went, and then just smiled about it. I didn't have to teach her how to disobey like that. We have this kind of a sinful nature that it just kind of comes natural to all of us. All mankind is now born with a sinful nature. And so that's our nature. We, we are sinful. Number two, our choice is that we sin. God says that all of us are considered guilty because of our relationship with Adam and because of our own choices. All of us are guilty. Sometimes I've heard people say, you know, it's just not fair. It's just not fair that Adam sinned and we got blamed for it. It's just not fair that, that Adam messed up, Adam and Eve messed up, and, and we, we're the ones that we, we still get blamed for it. 
I would suggest to you that had you been Adam and Eve, you would have done what they did. I would suggest to you that really what happened with Adam and Eve is just an example of what happens in our lives. We too are sinners by nature and by choice. Let me go with you to the New Testament, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all what, church? Now notice it says Jews and Gentiles alike. In other words, what Paul is saying, there's no particular race that, that, it, that is excluded from this. That all races are included in this. We're all under sin. Even those that are considered God's people, the Jews, are all under sin. The Gentiles, that would be us, all under sin. And then he explains how that came about. Look in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. (laughs) I like the way he, he does that. There is no one righteous. He could have put a period there. Then he said, not even one. It's almost as if he's anticipating somebody who's saying, yeah, but what about my grandmother? Not even one. There's no one righteous. Yeah, but what about my pastor? Not even one. Yeah, but what about my father? Not even one. There is no one righteous. No one without sin. Not even one. Keep reading. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. What's that next word in verse 12? The first word. All, how many is all? Yeah. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There he gives, he tells us again. And then he describes them in verses 13 through, uh, through 18. Now for sake of time, go over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> Oh, I, well, I tell you what, I like verse 15 and follow. Let's just read. I've got all kinds of marks in my Bible. Let me, let me uh, walk you through this. You might want to mark your Bible too. I want you to look for the word, the gift. Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. He's making a comparison here. For if the many died by the reason of the one man, who would that one man be, church? Adam. How much more did God's grace and the gift, I've circled it, that came by the grace of one man, Adam, Jesus Christ overflow to many. Again, the gift, it's circled in my Bible, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift, there it is again, followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift, there it is again, of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Translation, pastor, it's not fair that one man 
could ruin the whole universe. And I would say, you know what? It really isn't, isn't fair that one man could bring salvation to the universe, but I'm grateful that it, he, he has. God understands how we think, and God says, okay, you're right. There was sin that was brought into the race through one man. He brought death through one man. Adam cursed us all, one man. But he says, but let me tell you about another one man who brings life and forgiveness and righteousness. Keep reading. This, <clears throat> this is about to get good. Look what he says. Um, for, verse 19. For just as though, for just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Isn't that beautiful? Through the disobedience of one man we're all made sinners. But through the obedience of one man we're all made righteous. Righteous. You see, on our, our choice is that we are sinners. We're sinners by nature. Yes, all of us are, but we also, when given the opportunity, choose to sin as well. We choose to disobey God. You know, it fascinates me. I was thinking about this earlier today. It fascinates me that, well, just talk to your neighbor. We got time. Talk to your neighbor. What do you think one of the very first sins children commit? See if you come up with the same thing I did. It's just a guess. Okay, nobody has to talk. Donna got it right. Hey, let's, let's just, how many would say, yeah, that, that's probably right. The first sin the child commits usually is lying. Some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know. Some of you say, well, my kid stole the first thing I've <laughs> I, I've got no, I got no theological verse for that. I got no chapter and verse for this. I've got no theological study. I've got no support for this. Just my observation that little kids, little kids, one of the first things that they do that we would categorize as sin is that they lie. Did you do that? You, their hands are dirty. Their mouth is dirty. Did you do that? How do they have this ability to look you in the face and lie to you? Because we're sinners. We inherited that. And we're good at it. We even do it at a young age. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And then let's go to the last one real quickly. Let's talk about our condition Put this on your notes. Our condition is that we are lost. Again, this is not new information for you, but would you dig into the Word with me for a few moments and let the Spirit of God speak to you? Look in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man in Jericho. 
Jesus encountered him, or more importantly, he encountered Jesus. He put his faith in Christ, and Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. That is, this man too has believed like Abraham did. This man too has put his faith in me like Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And then look at verse or verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That verse makes no sense without Genesis 3.6. That's why this is such a core verse in the Bible, Genesis 3.6. That verse, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What are the consequences of sin or lostness? What does it mean when we say we are lost? I'm just going to have time to read some of these with, uh, with you real quickly. Let's just look through the list real quickly. First of all, the consequences of sin and lostness is that we're sentenced to physical and spiritual death. John 3.18. You know John 3.16. When was the last time you read it all the way through to verse 18? Look at John 3. 18. Whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Or what does it mean in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not what, church? Perish. We're all sentenced to physical and spiritual death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We're going to kind of do a Bible drill here in the last five minutes. We're going to go really quick. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember what God said to Adam and Eve. You can eat any tree you want to, but when you eat of this tree, the day that you eat of it, you will surely... Did they? Eventually, how many people have ever gone and cut down a Christmas tree off of somebody's property and it wasn't yours? <laughs> I won't tell you my story, but it was when I was little. If you've ever cut down a Christmas tree, you understand what it means when Jesus said, on the day you eat it, you will surely die. The day you cut that tree down, it's dead. Signs of death don't show up yet, but the day you cut that tree down, it's essentially dead. Sometime later, weeks later, death will appear in that tree, but the day you cut it is the day it died. The day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were dead. Spiritually separated, cut off like you cut that tree. Spiritually separated from their God. They were dead spiritually. In fact, God banished them from the Garden of Eden. That would be a great sermon sometime as you study that, how God banished them from the Garden of Eden. They were spiritually dead. And then, of course, years and years later, the death, physical death, showed up. God always keeps His promise. On the day you eat it, you will surely die. 
So one of the one of the consequences of our lostness is spiritual death and physical death. Number two, look at your notes. Or B, we're separated from God. Ephesians chapter two, verse twelve. Ephesians chapter two, verse twelve. We're separated from God. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time, that is before you came to faith in Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Separated, absolutely separated from God. The third consequence is dominated and controlled by sin. You're in Ephesians. Look in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are what, church? Those who are? Yes. All of us. All of us also lived among them at one time. Paul is saying we all had this problem at one time. And here was the problem we all had at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our godly nature. No. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Dominated. Controlled. By sin. That's why Paul in Romans says, I think it's in chapter 7, Paul says, Brothers, I don't understand why, what I, why I do what I do. He said, I'm having a hard time understanding why I want to do the right thing, but to do the wrong thing, or I don't want to do the wrong thing, and I end up doing it anyway. I don't understand. It's just this domination of sin that is within all of us when we're lost, we're controlled and dominated by it. Spiritual blindness is another condition of the lost. I'm, I'm heading somewhere with this, so stay with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read, this will be the last one I read because I want, I want to make an application here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers. You see the other conditions there listed. We're out of time, but you see the other conditions there listed. Here's what I want you to realize in closing. You read over that list. You've just described a lot of the people you're going to encounter tomorrow. It may be people you encounter at work. It might be people you, who are your neighbors It might be somebody who lives in your own house. But you probably are going to encounter some people who are lost tomorrow. In fact, depending on where you are, it could be that the majority of people you encounter tomorrow are lost. Now, Some of you work in an environment where it's like everybody's a Christian, but but some of you don't. If you look at all those consequences, you just describe your coworker. You've just described your neighbor. You've just described your family member. Or maybe you've just described your best friend. And the reason 
you need to be aware of that is because God says you've got good news to share. By the way, that's the reason we do what we do in missions. That's the reason we we give and we go and we try to be so fervent in that is because, listen to me, there are places in North America, there are places around the world where the majority of people are described on that list you just read. For example, you go to Boston. How many of you have been to Boston with us? Raise your hand if you've been to Boston. Yes, a lot of you. You go to Boston. Anywhere you walk on the streets of Boston, 98% of the people you see in Boston are described on that list. 98%. Which means whenever you walk through downtown Boston, 9 out of 10, easily, 9 out of 10 people you see are lost. And yet, God's made a way for them to be found, hasn't he? For them to be saved. But that's why we do what we do. That's why maybe you've got some good news you need to share with somebody. Now, here's what we're going to talk about next time. If we are created in God's image, but by chapter 3, everything got messed up. God is a loving and a holy and a just God. We would like for God to make things right, but God can't do it by, can't do it by simply saying, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. God can't say, let's just pretend that never happened. Because God is holy and righteous and just. Because He is holy and righteous and just, He cannot, He will not turn His back on our sin which next time we meet, we'll be talking about a covenant. A covenant that God made so that we could be made right with Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank You for all that You do and all that You've done. Thank You for Your Word and help us to better understand these core beliefs so that we can better understand Your Bible, Your Word to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.